Welcome to Heart Church. We believe that the gospel has the power to change your whole life or your life. We hope you're ready to hear from God and be impacted by this message. It's lovely to be with you and what an honour it is for me this morning to um, share from the Bible and share some of my heart as to why we do Heart Week. Why is serving the poor such an important thing for us to do? So if you have your Bibles with you, I'd love you to turn to Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61. It's a really annoying bit in where my Bible, it starts like the first verse is right down at the bottom of the page and then I've got to turn it over. So for Isaiah 61, the very beginning, it says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendour, They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. What a great bit of scripture. And um, I just want that to be our focus over the next few moments, if that's okay. And I don't know what your first response is when you read this scripture. My first response is I think of Jesus, because Jesus actually quoted this scripture um, in the beginning of his ministry. He was found and he quoted this scripture. It's in Luke chapter four. And then he talked about actually, you know, this is this today in your hearing, this scripture is being fulfilled. So I've always thought that actually that's Jesus, like this scripture is about Jesus. So when I hear this scripture, I think about Jesus and I'm grateful for Jesus. I'm grateful for the difference that Jesus has made in my life. And then I look at this scripture and I'm like, I can see me in this scripture because I can remember when the good news was shared with me. I, I actually can remember God healing my broken heart and God piecing me back together. You see, you wouldn't know me if you met me as a teenager. I was really quite timid, quite quiet, quite insecure. And um, I'm the kind of teenager that my mum was going away for a weekend and I had a full-on panic attack at school. I knew she was going away at 10 o'clock in the morning and at 5 to 10, almost on cue, I had a full-on panic attack because I'm like, oh no, what am I going to do all weekend without my mum? Even though I was going to stay with my best friend and her family. So I, when I read this scripture, I'm like, God, you've bound up my broken heart. I'm grateful. Is there anyone else in this room that is grateful when they read this scripture, they can say, actually, I can see that I've got a crown of beauty now instead of ashes. Actually, I can see that I am now free where I once was a captive. Um, is, if you're watching online, why not put in the chat, you know, when, when do you know, how do you know this scripture to be true for your life? What has God done in you? And I love the, you know, the understanding that I am now living with a garment of praise instead of a garment of despair. And what a great thing that is too. And I think that's right when we read this scripture that we think that and that is our response. And then my mind started wandering to the New Testament and some of the teaching of Jesus. Um, and you see in John 14, 12, it says, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing 
and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to my Father. Okay, so that's Jesus teaching us that we're going to be doing even greater things than he has been doing. And Paul encourages us in Ephesians 2.10. It says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And then my mind went to Matthew 28. At the end of Matthew 28, it's called the Great Commission, when Jesus instructs us to go into all the world, to make disciples, to preach his good news. It's kind of Jesus like, okay, guys, over to you now. And I was like, okay, so I'm beginning to think that I now need to be more like Jesus. And then I look at the life of Jesus. I'm like, okay, so Jesus calms storms. He fed thousands of people. He healed people. He set people free. And he spoke into people's purpose and future. And I'm like, oh, am I becoming more like Jesus? That's a big question for us to think. Am I becoming more like Jesus? Because I'm not sure I've fed thousands of people. Like I've had a house full of people and I've probably fed 30 at a time. Um, I'm not sure I've healed people. And I'm, and I'm not sure when I look at the life of Jesus. Yet if I look at that with the other scriptures where Jesus is telling us and instructing us that we're going to do even greater things than he's done. And he's given us his Holy Spirit who's with us always. I come back to reading Isaiah 61 again with slightly different glasses on. Let's read Isaiah 61 again. It says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. Okay, I mean, that's enough. It's on me. Like me? Me? It's on me. Oh, oh okay, now, we're, now this is going to look a bit different. Now we're reading it like this. I don't know if you've ever been in a crowded room and someone across the other side of the room has like been waving at you and you're like, and they're like, oh no, 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 not you, them. And you're like, oh yeah, great, thanks. I, um, I seem to have done that quite a few times when it's like, oh no, no, not you. But I think this scripture is like, no, no, it is, yes, it, it's you because the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon you. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on each one of us here this morning. And it's like, okay. So we've, we've got to begin to think that we are receivers of the gospel, but we're not just to receive the gospel. We are also active participants in the gospel. So it's not, it's not enough for us just to say, thank you, Jesus, that you've healed my broken heart. Thank you that you've given me purpose, that you've set me free. Thank you for all of that. We are utterly grateful. And what an amazing time of worship we've had together this morning, bringing our gratitude and our praise to God. But I think we're meant to be active participants in this. I think we need to do something about it. And we're to become the sermon. We are to become the sermon, which is a bit of a tall order, because I know how much work I put into this sermon. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's hard work. But I think that this is what we're meant to do. I think we're meant to become the sermon. But that then raises two questions for me. Well, who who are the poor, the brokenhearted, and the captives? And how? How do we do that? Like, how do we do that? How does little old us do that? So firstly, I wanted to think about who. And I think sometimes we can make light of the poor. Um, like, I don't know, a few weeks ago, it was the Euro competition. And um, my house was dominated by the Euros. I have a husband, Mark, lots of you know him, 
who absolutely loves football. Jordan, our son, also loves football. And apparently it doesn't really matter which two teams were playing. They just needed to watch football. So I think genuinely every game of football that was played in the Euros was on the TV at our house. So you have to try, Kezia and I have tried to educate ourselves and tried to kind of get in with the chat because that was the only chat that was happening for a few weeks. And, you know, oh, were they playing well or were they playing poorly? You know, were they, oh, no, well, that team were playing poorly. And when we use that phrase, it's kind of we understand, don't we, that that team were underperforming. They weren't reaching the capacity or the ability to, uh, that, that they could do. They were living underneath their potential of what they could have achieved as a team. So that's one understanding of poor. We also understand that poor is not having enough money for the basic things. Now, I don't mean not having enough money for the luxury holidays twice a year or a brand new car every year. I'm not talking about that kind of poor. We need to understand again and remember here this morning, even if sometimes we live with less, sometimes we might live with lack in our lives, we are still not poor compared to the rest of the world's population. And so, you know, there are people where they are genuinely poor, where they don't have money even for the basic things, for the basic things. Like I might say, oh, I can't afford that dress because that dress is a lot of money. But the truth is I could go out and buy a dress. That is the truth. And so I think we need to have um, sometimes look at ourselves internally and think about how, how, do we, um, how do we kind of define poor and do we understand what this is? And I think there's also the complexities when living in poverty, there are many complexities that then come with that and the knock-on effects that that can maybe have on our physical health and our mental health. And if, you know, people are living with poor mental health, then that, that impacts so many other areas of their life as well. Nottingham has high levels of deprivation. In 2019, Nottingham ranked 11th out of 317 districts in England as the most deprived. The 11th. If we were talking tennis players, 11th is a good ranking, okay? We're not talking tennis players. We're talking people's lives here. Our city is ranking 11th out of 317 districts in England. And Nottingham City has ranked 4th of the most deprived of the core cities in England. So in comparison with like Manchester, Leeds, Birmingham, Liverpool, the other big cities, we are the fourth most deprived core city. In April 2020, that's not long ago, is it? That's last year. Government figures have shown that there are 45,616 children in Nottinghamshire living in poverty. That's a lot of children. That's over 45,500 children. That's every one in six children in Nottinghamshire are living in poverty. So there, there are the poor around us and amongst us and in our city and people that we rub shoulders with and people that we walk past on the streets. Brokenhearted and the captives might not be so easy to measure. It's not such a obvious indicator. It's not so visible um, to see if people are broken-hearted or if they're captive by the circumstances of their life. That's a really hard one, isn't it? And often something that we might try and keep hidden 
We, um, we don't want people to see that we're weaker than we really have to be. But I want to tell you about three people who I've met. These are real live people in Nottingham that I've met in the last few years. I met a really lovely single dad who was looking after his toddler um, because mum had a, a crisis and could no longer care for him, for the toddler. So dad was doing a great job in looking after the toddler, but dad was also waiting on his right to remain in the UK. So he was waiting on being able to be a permanent resident of the UK. Um, and so we were supporting him. Really great, really lovely dad. And he got his right to remain, which is fantastic. But that means there's a change in which part of the system that you're in. So you get your right to remain in the UK, brilliant. But you're no longer being housed by one certain government department. You need to now become the responsibility of another housing department in the UK. And therefore, you're kicked out of the one house that you had been living in and making home for a few months. And you're put into hotels... They call them hotels. That's a very generous term for them. But he was then housed in a hotel with his toddler son with no um, ability to cook or store food. And he was then moved around for four or five months while he then had to get his foot onto the waiting list for um, social care housing. And then he has got his own home and he's established now in his own home and thriving, doing really, really well. I met a professionally qualified lady. She is um, a really lovely lady. I can't remember if she has got three sons or four sons. I didn't actually meet her sons. All, all live with high-functioning ASD, um, so, you know, a, a form of Asperger's syndrome. And her husband is very supportive. They've got a great marriage, a good relationship. But her husband also recently had a diagnosis that actually he also um, has ASD. And this lady had lost both of her parents in a real short space of time, which were her support network. And this lady is just utterly exhausted with life. Just utterly exhausted with life. You know those days when you're having to fight the system, provide for your sons, make sure your sons have got the right support they need at school, that you're supervising them the right way at home because of their additional needs that they have. And she was just utterly exhausted. She was brokenhearted really broken-hearted. And then a mum of six children who's become a dear friend of mine. She loves her kids in the way that she can only love her kids. And she wants better for her six children than she ever had in her own childhood. But currently, none of them are in her care. Because she's living with the brokenness. She's living with the effects of her childhood and how that now manifests in her life. And none of those children are currently in her care. And I have to tell you, the sound of her sobs when I was with her one day in court a couple of years ago when her youngest child was removed from her care, her sobs are the sobs of a broken-hearted lady. And there are no words that you can give her to fill in or to make her feel better. And so we've got an idea now that there are the poor the broken-hearted and the captives, and they're living next door to us, and they're in our city, and they're the people that we go shopping with. We walk past them in Nottingham Market Square. So the need is great. We can see that the need is great. And how on earth 
do we become this sermon and proclaim good news to the poor? How on earth can I help mend some of those problems? I can't. And yet I also look at this scripture in Isaiah 61 and know that I can because I carry in me the hope of God. I carry in me the life of the King of Kings, of our Heavenly Father, of which I can bring and I can share. So I know what I kind of think I know what it is, but I also know what it's not. Heart Church, this is not a tick box exercise. We're not doing this out of pity. We're not just saying, do you know what? Let's throw some money at this. Let's do this because actually it makes us, makes us look quite good. It's a good thing for us to do. It's absolutely not a tick box exercise. We need to remember God acts out of grace, not out of duty. And therefore, we need to model God. We are modeling his heart towards our city. So we are to act out of grace. We're not acting out of duty. I believe it's a core conviction of mine that actually this is part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And it's who we are as Heart Church. I love the fact that Pastor Malcolm and Lynette are so passionate about us reaching out Um, in our city you know we have a message that's too good to keep to us here that would be lovely we have a lovely time together worshiping God but it's too good for us to keep to ourselves I also know that it it doesn't improve our standing with God Ephesians 2 8 said it's by grace you've been saved not by works so that no one can boast so it's not to say hey God I um, actually gave £10 to that thing. So, hey, remember me when I get to heaven. Give me a bit of an extra blessing. It's not about us improving our standing with God. And I'm pretty sure that we can't do it by sitting here every Sunday. I was chatting to Mark. You can imagine Mark's um, preaching down in Cambridge this morning. And so we've been chatting kind of sermon prep all week. It's been a barrel of laughs in our house. (laughs) Um, And Mark just sent me a text message. Um, He knew I was prepping this and getting my head around it. And he just sent me this text message and it said, some people would rather see a sermon than hear one. And that's really true. We know that if we were talking about education, we all learn in different ways. And some of us learn with our minds and some of us learn with our eyes and some of us have to get kind of active and feel things to learn things and understand things and here we have an opportunity to be a physical visual demonstration of the gospel of Jesus so it means journeying with people it means sharing our lives with people it means being at court with them when they have their children removed it means sitting and crying with them because there are actually no words that we can share but it means valuing them it means recognizing them it means I remember doing this a a year or so ago. It means buying, going into Greg's, buying a sausage roll and a coffee, sitting down next to the homeless person and chatting to them and bringing value to their lives by that small act. It also means that we get to inspire them. We get to encourage them. And then you see, you begin to look back at Isaiah 61 and all of a sudden we begin to see that we are bestowing on them a crown of beauty instead of their ashes. We're beginning to see the oil of joy instead of mourning and the garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. 
So Heart Week, yes, it's once a year. It's once a year. There are great partners that we partner with, with Jericho Road, with Safe Families, with Open Homes, with Emmanuel House. There are things that we can do throughout the year that helps us engage with this. Feel free to chat to me afterwards or look on the website. They're all on there if you want to find out more about them. But there are things that we can do. Heart Church family, can I encourage us that we need to be journeying alongside people? Because after a little while, you begin to see the signs of spring in someone's life. You know that after the winter, all of a sudden, when you see the blossom coming out on the tree and we all get excited and we all take Instagram pictures and we're like, oh, spring's coming. It's a daffodil, daffodil bulb. It's a snowdrop. And we all get excited, don't we, at the sign of spring and the sign of new life. Can I encourage you, because it, it happens, once we journey with people and we share our lives with people and we're vulnerable with people and we learn to trust other people and they learn to trust us, we begin to see them smile more often. They begin to believe in themselves. They begin to have aspirations. They begin to think, do you know, I can do this. They begin to believe and have hopes and dreams for the future. And that is a precious thing to be around. Coming to a close, there's so much I could say. Psalm 84 about the Valley of Baca. When they pass through the Valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. When there's something hard, but we are here with the hope of God that we can come through those dark, dry desert places. Ezekiel 37, when he said, what can you see? It's like, I can, all I can see is a valley of dry bones. What can we see when we look out at Nottingham City? We see a city of people that God loves, God's created. God has destiny and purpose and future for them. And it's up to us to speak those words, to speak life, to speak joy over our city. You see, I utterly believe, I utterly believe that we're standing in the gap. We have to stand in the gap and contend for the lost and the broken. We've got to bring heaven down to earth, Heart Church. We have to. We have to, because if we don't, who is? And we have to represent the brokenhearted and the captives and the poor before a gracious and a kind, tender-hearted, loving Father. And we say, would you in your grace, would you in your mercy, look upon these people with favour? But then you see, God in his graciousness, I don't really know how this works, and maybe my words are going to fail me now, but somehow in God's kingdom economy, the more we give of ourselves, the more we spend of ourselves, we begin to see God in a deeper way. We begin to have a bigger revelation of who God is in our lives. Victor Hugo, who wrote Les Miserables, I don't know if you've ever seen it, I've seen it on stage a couple of times and on film. But he says, you know, to love another person is to see the face of God. And somehow, as we're loving other people, we begin to actually see God. In Matthew, Matthew 25, it says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison or go to visit you? 
the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters, you did for me. And so we come full back to where I started. You see, we come back to actually, we do this because we're full of wonder and adoration and praise towards God because we do this as part of our worship to him. We do this because it's the right thing to do, because it calls something out of us, but God in his mercy then does something in us. So is Heart Week going to eradicate childhood poverty and end homelessness in a week? No, no, we're not going to do that. We can't do that in a week. But it's a start. It's a start, friends. And we are the sermon. So if it's not us, who's it going to be? It's a start for us to be in our city, for us just to bring a smile, for us to do something physical, for us to maybe get out of our comfort zone and say, okay, God, could you give me eyes to see these people as you see them? Because I'm finding this a bit awkward. It's an opportunity for us to grow and to stretch ourselves. Remember, you carry the hope of the living God in you. You carry the hope of a loving saviour and we have the opportunity. So is it going to be hard work? Yeah, probably. Is it going to be like, oh, this hasn't quite worked out, Tamsin. We're going to have to change plans and do it like that. Possibly. But is it also an absolute privilege and an exciting honour that we get to roll our sleeves up and start to bring some life and hope to our city? So Heart Church, that's, that's me. That's why we do Heart Week. That's why serving the poor is so important in our city. And that's why I hope that you've heard my heart today. And I hope that you will join us and that together as a Heart Church family, we will serve our city. Thank you for your time. God bless you. You've come to the end of this message. We hope you've been challenged and inspired. Stay up to date with everything going on in the life of our church by checking out our social media. Just search Heart Church UK.